Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the BeyondTheMic.com star line by editor-in-chief of the New York Post and executive producer of Torn from the Headlines, the New York Post reports on investigation discovery, Michelle Godolf. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's go Beyond the Mic. In this new series, you take viewers across six well-known crimes. As you started the series, how did you narrow it down to just these six? Well, I can tell you, Sean, it was definitely not easy. Um, We went back through our archives and went through about, you know, 100, 200 stories to look at. Like, we wanted them to be really quintessential New York stories. Like, they had to have certain elements to them, like love or lust or greed or betrayal or revenge or something that really was a very New York Posty story. But they also couldn't be too current, so people knew them right away. So we went back about 20 years. And, and found a few of the stories that might not be at the forefront of people's memories, but they were really big stories in New York and, you know, had quite an impact. You start the series with Last Call at the Falls, about a beautiful grad student loses her life at the hands of a serial rapist. Why did this story touch you? We picked this story because it, when you're looking at a story that has an impact across the country, this one shook women to their core. It's like if you are a parent and you're sending your young daughter to New York to study, or if you're a woman yourself, this woman, the subject of the story is in Met St. Ian. She was 24 years old and she came to New York to study criminal justice. While she was here, she was, you know, taking part of the nightlife. Like she went out with her friends. She liked to socialize. And one night she went out with her friends. They left her at a bar because she wanted to stay out longer and she never came home. And she later was found wrapped in a blanket and dumped on the side of a, a highway here. So, I mean, that really sent shockwaves throughout the city. All, you know, parents were like, oh, my God, I send my daughter there and this could happen to them. And women didn't really want to go to clubs for a while. They were just like, and if they did, they were calling their best girlfriends and saying, hey, look, do not let me out of your sight. Like, I'm coming home with you. So we went back, and this is a case back from 2006. So it's relatively not far back, but it's not in in the front of your memory. So it's... You know, we can actually tell the story in its full without people really knowing how it ends. What was your first job in media and how did it change your life? Oh, my God. Ah, wow. My first job in media, I was a, well, hmm, my first job. I was a copy editor, which wasn't very fun. I, <laughs> I had a part-time copy editing job and I always wanted to be a reporter. So I worked my way to New Jersey. And I was a, I started off as a crime reporter. Basically, it was a very boots on the ground job where we would um, get tips on investigations that were happening and then we would have to run on them. And we would go to talk to the police or we would talk to family members or we would go back to crime scenes and we would talk to witnesses in the field. Like it was, it really set me up for my entire career because it not only, I felt like it gave me a purpose, like I, I felt like I was helping letting the public know what was going on and helping families grieve for loved ones. And a lot of times, you know, I would, after months and months and months after stories, I would still keep in touch with family members of, of people who were victims of crime. Like it just, it ended up becoming kind of like, I don't want to say a life calling, cause, but it, it, it's a part of me. That makes a lot of sense. Now, can you talk about the passion you have for reporting and though you are editor in chief, do you ever get that itch to go out and hunt a story yourself? Yeah, 
mean, not so much anymore. I mean, the reason I was, I'm so, I know, I know, I kind of, I now, um, and I'll pull all the strings from the sidelines. I'm, I'm the hidden hand is like, is what I like to say. But the reason I'm really heavily involved in the discovery, uh, the, um, discovery ID series is that I ran the newsroom for like 15 years. So every reporter, every, you know, story came through me. So I, I you know, I, I was the one who dispatched the reporters and worked with like the sub editors and, you know, really had an involvement in everything that we were working on. Talk about these New York Post crime journalists who helped take their stories from a crime report to their words to the screen. One thing I have to say about the New York Post um, is that we we're really old school. Like we are, we do have young journalists, but we're um, we're boots on the ground. You know, in today's day and age, like a, a lot of journalists come in and they like they think a phone call is reporting out a story. No, that's not how it works. You don't pick up the phone, you get your sneakers on, and you run out. And you go and you talk to the people who are involved. If you have to talk to an investigator, you find him at the coffee shop. If you need to talk to witnesses, you go down to the scene. Or if something happened at a bar or a Starbucks, you're going. You're not going to sit in the newsroom. So, and it's, you know, that's, that's how we have, you know, do, have, we've done our job since the dawn of the New York Post. And it continues to the day, even with the, you know, even though it's, it's, you know, newspapers are, I hate to say it, newspapers are dying and obviously everyone's getting their, all their information from the internet, but we're still old school journalists here. And we're still going to fight for stories the old fashioned way. Well, as a journalist myself, it still feels good to have people find value in the medium I work in. In the end, it's the skills you learn that some newer reporters don't understand. You have to dig, ask probing questions, not be satisfied with just a pat answer. You have to go to the story. You can't have the story come to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you understand that better than anyone. I mean, look, I'll be honest. We bring in, we kind of joke around here. I mean, the New York Post, everyone knows the New York Post, but we consider ourselves what, what I call a teaching hospital. Like we will bring in young journalists and yeah, we're a teaching hospital here. Like, you know, everybody gets taught. Like we will we'll pull off operations with young people and they, they get taught by, by doing it. We have, you know, somebody who just graduated from, from college. If they think they're going to sit in the back of the room and check what's going on in social media, that's not going to happen. We're going to physically throw them out on the street and say, find a story. It's time for the Rocky Nade. It's the first thing that comes to your mind, no pressure. Eight random questions, anything can go in the Rocky Nade. Number one, favorite place to relax? Oh, wow. Um, so I work in New York City, but I live in New Jersey, and I have a really pretty backyard. So that is my sanctuary. You asked for the first thing I thought. <laughs> Sorry. I <know. laughs> That's the whole part of the Rocky Nade. The story you wrote that you had the most pride for. Ooh, my God. Um goes back to when I first started, it was a house fire that claimed the lives of five children in one family. Favorite place to eat in New York City? Oh, uh, John's Pizzeria in Midtown. Favorite of the New York Post reports episodes? You got to pick one. Ooh, um, it would be the, um, ooh, it's like picking my favorite child. Um, It would be the Tuxedo King. What animal do you own? What animal do I own? I own a rescue pit bull. As a licensed beer brewer, what is your favorite recipe? A stout, ale? Oh, God. Um, yes, um, sours. Sours. Um, actually, what would be considered, if we were in Belgium, lambics. Very nice. Last book that you read. 
oh, last book that I read. Oh, don't. It, it have to. I don't read fiction at all. So it has to be nonfiction and I can't think of one. Um, God. It's okay. I really, I'm drawing a blank. I, I read, I know that's so terrible. I don't read fiction. Everything to me has to be, have had to have a sense of truth to it. And finally, how are you handling COVID-19 personally? Well, I get up and I bathe in Purell <laughs> and then I come into the office and <laughs> I come into the office and I look, I look around and, and nobody's really here. I mean, we have everybody working from remote locations. So I'm kind of alone in a newsroom right now. She has a rescue pit bull, doesn't read fiction books, and she's all alone in the newsroom. It is editor-in-chief of the New York Post and executive producer of Torn from the Headlines, New York Post reports on investigation discovery, Michelle Godolf. Thank you. Sean, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. 